The next supporter of the podcast is RX Bar. RX Bar is the company that I work for full time, as you probably all know by now. And we're the makers of that cool protein bar that you look at and it has all the ingredients on the front. And then we say there's no BS as well. Um, you guys got to check it out if you haven't tried an RX Bar before. Um, all of our ingredients are right there on our packaging. We don't lie about any of the shit that goes into most other protein bars. And we tell how it is right on the front. We have protein bars for adult. We call them adult bars, but just the normal RX bar. We have a kid's line, which is fantastic. Minis, which is smaller RX bars for those of you who you know want a smaller snack. We have a nut butter line of single serve and multi-serve flavors. Um, we launched a layers bar, which is a combination of a protein or the RX bar and a nut butter layer on top. And then we also have RX oats. So think better for you oatmeal with egg whites and higher protein. So give it a shot. The link is in the bio and thanks RX bar for supporting the podcast. Hello everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of simply finance up shortly. We have Denise Woodard from partake foods. She's developed a line of cookies that are allergen free and taste good. Uh, it was inspired by her daughter who's had food allergies, and it's a great story. Um, we dive into a lot of different concepts, and her business is off to a great 2020 and is really picking up a lot of steam. There's lots of good lessons learned in this episode, and I hope you guys enjoy. As always, thanks for listening, and Denise will be up right after this. Well, thank you everybody for joining another episode of Simply Finance with Shane White. I'm excited today to have Denise Woodard from Partake Foods on the podcast. Denise, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Do you want to give everyone a little intro about yourself and just how you got to Partake Foods? Sure thing. So I'm Denise, the founder and CEO of Partake Foods. We're a line of allergy-friendly snacks. They were inspired by my five-year-old daughter Vivian's uh, experience with food allergies. I was really frustrated with the options I was finding from a taste perspective and a nutritional perspective and kind of, for lack of better, wor of better, better words, like a brand coolness factor perspective. And yeah. so when I couldn't find solutions that met my family's needs, I left my career at Coca-Cola and started Partake in 2017. Wow. That's such a, I, I did, you know, I had, did a little research and it, it was curious to your background because I'm in the food industry too, obviously. Um, and it seemed like you had quite a background at Coca-Cola. Did you, was it a difficult, like, was it a difficult transition to like, I, that's one question I ask on here a lot is like, how did you, you had like a passion for wanting to create this brand. How did you kind of go zero to one and just decide like, Hey, I'm going to leave my, you know, really, really good job, right? At Coca-Cola and you had, look like you had a long career at Coca-Cola. Um, yeah. How did you kind of think through that process and finally decide to take the leap? Sure. So I think my journey with Coca-Cola was pretty serendipitous. So I spent the first like six years or so working on the larger trademark brands like Coke, Diet Coke, and Sprite. And then I had the opportunity to move over to venturing and emerging brands where the brands that Coke had either acquired or acquired or invested in sat. And so I had the chance to work with entrepreneurs like Seth Goldman from Honest Tea. And what I learned was that, I don't want to say a regular person, but like a regular person with enough sure. hard work yeah. and dedication and passion 
could create a really meaningful brand. Um, so I think that gave me the confidence that I otherwise wouldn't have had. And then as luck would also have it, I ended up entering a small business pitch competition shortly oh. after having that idea. And we won with just an idea, which was oh, wow. fantastic. Awesome. But it came with some local press, which required me to tell my boss what I was doing very early on. And so the kind of verdict that we came to was, I could moonlight as long as I didn't have a product that I was selling. And when I actually had a product, I had to leave. And so it gave oh. me the kick in the butt that I needed to leave because otherwise I probably would have tried to turn this into a side hustle and we wouldn't be where we are today. Right. And that's a, that's a good like leeway to my next question. Do you feel like that is, was that kind of key in you guys kind of taking off was just like having a full focus on it? Like to your point, do you think it would have taken a lot longer to get where you are if you would have just done it as a side hustle? A hundred percent. So I think also because we launched as a self-funded and self-distributed brand. And so literally it was me filling up the back of my SUV with cookies and going to natural food stores across the city every single day. And like, if I had another job, I just wouldn't have been able to do it. Um, and, And so I do think it was really necessary for us. That's wild. Did you, do you remember uh, the conversation like with your husband or with other family when you decided like, Hey, I'm going to go forward with this. I love that too. Do you remember like the actual conversation where you decided to make the decision? My husband and I were actually in line at the zoo. um, And I remember talking about it and the person in line in front of us turned around and was like, sounds like you have a really great idea. You should enter the small business pitch competition. And it was a Saturday afternoon and the applications closed like that Monday at midnight. And so I had to incorporate the business and like figure out at least a working name for it. And so I think my husband's definitely been supportive from day one, which is so important because entrepreneurship is just like a 24 seven all encompassing thing. And so without the support of your entire family, I think it's really hard to do. So he was really supportive. I will say my parents, not so much. So they're like the biggest cheerleaders now, but you know, neither one of them graduated college. So the thing that was so important for them was like, go to school, get a formal education, get a secure job in corporate America. And then when I called them, it was like, you know, I'm going to leave my job at Coke and start selling cookies. They just thought I lost my mind. <laughs> no, I bet. I mean, that's, I think that's something on here that I've, I've learned from talking to quite a few founders now is just like kind of taking that leap and just believing in yourself seems to be like a very uh, consistent thing that I've heard a lot of people say. Um, what was it like creating the like first couple versions of the product? So you were saying that like when you were at Coke until you had a physical product, you, you were allowed to like keep working and doing both. Did you have, do you remember like version one of the first cookie? I do. So The other part of the story that I didn't mention is our nanny, Martha, actually has a small piece of equity in the company because a lot of this was her idea. So I started to tell her all of my woes about like the products in this aisle don't taste good and I don't like how they like, Vivi doesn't like them and they're not cool. And she was like, you should start a food company. Um, And so Martha's an amazing cook. And so we were like, oh, maybe she and I can just go to Whole Foods and then get into the kitchen. We actually failed horribly at that. And so thankfully we were able to find a product developer who brought our vision to life. I think, um, you know, we initially were just rice flour and xanthan gum and sugar and all the things that I found wrong with the gluten-free and vegan and top eight allergen free market is what we were having to use. And I just couldn't get it right myself, honestly. And so we had to bring in a real professional to get the job done. 
Got it. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. You know, if it, maybe if it was, if it was that easy, it would have been done before. Right. So yeah, that makes sense as well. Um, would you have like any, do you, I guess you said like the first version didn't work very well. You got some professional help. Do you remember the different stages before you decided like with the final product that you wanted to initially bring to market? Like, can you kind of walk the listeners through just like how you guys went through that process and especially some, getting some professional help? Um, I'm curious how that process worked and like what you learned from doing all that. Sure. So getting the professional help, initially I reached out to agencies because I really didn't know where to start. And then I started getting quotes back and I was like, this is more money than I have to my name. So that's not going to work. And then I started going, I went on LinkedIn and I looked at some of the competitors in the space and I just started cold emailing or sending LinkedIn messages to every person who'd had like some sort of product development related job at a company that I either admired or wanted to create somewhat of a product similar to. And the person that we ended up working with was somebody who responded to one of those emails and and we just hit it off immediately. And then in terms of the iteration, it was really like, I think, you know, we never would make anything that my daughter couldn't eat safely. And so a lot of it was her being our chief taste tester. And, And we didn't really have money for focus groups. So another thing we did was I created a survey monkey for 10 of my mom friends. And then I asked each of them to send it on to 10 more moms. And so that was kind of our initial sampling pod to determine what flavors and what textures and what was a hit and what wasn't a hit. Oh, that's a good idea. So you basically got a hundred people to fill that out. That's, that's a mm-hmm. good, is that, would you say that's like enough to move forward to like your first product? So some of the moms were really gung ho. We actually ended up with about 300 responses. Oh, wow. Um, and that's so awesome. for us, it felt like enough. And, you know, at some point I kind of stopped reading the responses because it was like everyone had very small tweaks. And so if I just waited to get something that every single of the 300 people agreed to, we probably still wouldn't have gotten started. So I think at some point you have to say like, this meets the standards that I'm looking for. You know, I think this suits the need. Let's move forward. And, you know, as we continue to have consumer conversations, we can make tweaks, but we have to move forward with something to get started. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And then how did you decide? um, I feel like this is one that it it bounces around a lot of people's mind when you think about launching something. How did you guys decide? Did you launch with one product initially? Or did you launch with a few? How did you decide like how many SKUs and like what, how many to launch with? So we launched with cookies and we launched with three SKUs. And I will say there wasn't a ton of science involved. I just walked a ton of grocery stores and I was saying like, okay, well, it looks like most brands are getting two to four like slots on shelf. And so I need to come with more than one, but I don't really have the money to develop five and they're probably not going to put all five on shelf. And so it was just kind of like some rough, like stalking the category to feel like to get a feel for what would, what would work. Got it. Okay. And then once you had a product, what was your, like, how did you decide where you wanted to launch at first? And, and that was one thing, like, I, I definitely have found where you guys are. First of all, I love your guys' website too, by the way, your website's Thank phenomenal. You. I'm an e-commerce person and I've worked in e-com for a while. So I always appreciate a good website. Um, how, did you guys launch online first or did you go to grocery first or what was your like distribution plan of like where you wanted to go from like a, a store and online pro- approach? Sure. So originally I was thinking, well, we'll make this a D2C brand initially. And what I learned was 
that the food allergy consumer has a really high barrier to entry and often wants to see the product and touch the product. And so maybe e-com could be a great supplement, but that we needed to have some sort of in-store presence was what I thought. And so I was very leery because I'd heard so many horror stories about working with distributors and all the chargebacks and deductions and things. And I was like, well, we don't have money for that. And so once again, kind of just like stalking online and was able to look at some of our competitors and where they were placed and we live in Jersey City, right across the river okay. from Manhattan. And so I was able to compile a list of like 50 natural food stores in Brooklyn and New York and New Jersey. And so we just like hit the ground running on those stores. Got it. That's awesome. And then do you have a, like a, an idea of future state? Where, is there like a plan that you guys are going after? Um, I know, are you, guys are, are you guys in Target? Is that the one I was able to yeah, find? Yeah. So That's we're, phenomenal. We're Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we'll finish this year in over 3,500 stores, and we were in about 350 last year. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's a huge year for you guys, especially it's in a year a where a lot of people one. have been going the other way. It's been a really bittersweet year because there's, you know, so much yeah. bad stuff going on. But internally, like our, our business has just been on fire this year. So I'm so grateful. That's awesome. Are you guys then, are you going to try to attack, you know, other mass and other national accounts from there if you've already proven it out in Target? Yeah, so we have a couple of big announcements coming up, one launching in Q4 and one launching in Q1. So I, I think we'll be up um, from a door count perspe- perspective significantly next year. But you know, it's really important to me that we get the velocity to a strong place and we get the brand awareness and we continue to have opportunities for customers to sample our product and get to know our brand. And so I think we'll we'll pump the brakes a little bit just to make sure that we're not getting too crazy and going yeah. too fast. But I, I do, you know, I feel like we have some wind in our sails, so I want to take advantage that as well. Well, congratulations. That's extremely exciting. That's something really hard to do. I can imagine cracking the code to getting into Target. That was not an easy feat. That started, um, I dragged my husband along with me to Expo West in 2017, where we had some Ziploc bag samples and we hadn't even officially launched yet. And I was like, if you see anyone from Target or Whole Foods, no matter where they are, stop them. And he found the head of supplier diversity for Target in a bathroom line. I was thinking like, I did not mean that. (laughs) But that's where our relationship with Target started and they've just been phenomenal partners for us. Oh, that's so exciting. Congratulations. That's, that's phenomenal. I, I didn't know that you were in that many store and in that many, uh, indoors. So that's, that's incredible. Thank you. Um, I mean, you, yeah. And so just to, you know, backtrack a little bit, I mean, you guys have done, you've grown very quickly, right. In regards to like, I would say uh, the, the general, um, you know, food brand, I feel like you guys have your year over year growth has been incredible. You, and you mentioned at the beginning, um, how you guys bootstrapped and kind of self-funded to get started. Do you have a perspective, you know, to anyone listening who wants to start a company or start a business, especially in food or beverage, um, just kind of like your thoughts or philosophies. And now that you've even been through the process on, um, you know, starting with bootstrapping and then what your thoughts are longer term on trying to keep bootstrapping or raising money. And we can kind of go into that because that's, that's a very, you know, deep question with lots of different angles we can go at, but uh, just curious overall on your, on your perspective. Yeah. I don't think I would change my fundraising journey at all. Um, Being a woman and a person of color, excuse me. I knew that the fundraising journey would be difficult for me and being a first time founder. So it was really important for me that we built a stable business that could survive without outside funding because I didn't know when it would come or how it would come. And I kind of, you know, even though we have momentum now, I still have that scrappy mentality. Like, I don't think you should, like personally, I I don't want to raise any more capital than what we need 
to sustainably grow the business. Got it. Okay. Okay. So kind of the the mentality of, you know, not, not over raising money and really raising money for specific purposes. Is that kind of what you're saying? That sums it up perfectly. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And then, you know, one question I've gotten a lot on here, because we've had a few founders who've gone through the, the fundraising um, process is um, how did you like start that? Like how, like, you know, if you're, if you're someone who starts a cookie business and you want to start raising money, like, where do you start? Are you, you good? Do you start on LinkedIn or you, do you have some contacts and new people? Like, I think just walking through some of that, how you've gotten started is really interesting. Sure. So we launched in August of 2017 and then we got into a region of Whole Foods and we got into Wegmans in the summer of 2018, at which point we started to try to raise some outside capital and raise a few hundred thousand dollars in friends and family capital. As I mentioned, like neither one of my parents went to college. I don't have a lot of like accredited investors in my family. Yeah. Okay. Um, And so it was very much like cobbling together five and $10,000 checks from like my old colleagues, my husband's old colleagues, a friend of a friend. And so really getting comfortable with telling the story to kind of anyone who would listen. Um, And so that initial kind of several hundred thousand dollars that got us through for the next year or so was just like friends of friends and friends who told their great aunt who thought this was a great story. And so it it was just really like cobbling it together. And then when we raised our seed round of funding, I have this spreadsheet with like 110 potential investors and we got no's from about 86 of them. Um, And I kind of started in the way that you mentioned. So whether it was like LinkedIn or like looking at other companies and who was funding them or like all the various angel groups, whether they were tied to my alumni network or like where I live. Um, But we ended up taking uh, our lead investor is Marcy Venture Partners, which is Jay-Z's venture fund. And so I I couldn't have asked for a better investor, Um, but there were a lot of no's along the way. That's so cool. How did you get a hold of, how did you end up getting a hold of them? A friend of a friend knew one of the partners there. And, you know, once I had a chance to tell them the story and they had a chance to try the product, um, you know, it was a long process though. I think we met them in early 2018 and, you know, we closed the seed round in the summer of 2019. And so when I think of investors, I do think of it as a a bit of a marriage because you're really holding hands and growing the business together. And so, um, yeah, no, they've been phenomenal partners and it was just a random introduction from a friend of a friend. It's funny how some of that happens, right? It's like just the right place, the right time, you know, the whole thing. Do you have a a perspective just for anyone um, if they think, if they're thinking about raising money or want to go down that path, just like lesson learned, lessons learned or like do's and don'ts or anything major as far as like maybe things to avoid? Sure. I think um, do's and don'ts, like don't, and I've been so guilty of this. I learned this the hard way, like um, waste your time on some investors. Like sometimes people just want to put you through the ringer and ask a bazillion questions and they have no intention of investing in your business. And like you need the money so bad and you want it to work so bad that you like let this person like, you you know, like treat you in a way that's not nice or or like just like answer a bunch of questions that are really taking you away from running your business. And like, I would say, you know, try not to subject yourself to that because as I mentioned, like having an investor is kind of like having a marriage. And so if it's someone you don't want to even like go through the diligence and like initial process with, it's probably not someone you're going to want to be married to. So try to pick, um, you know, try to be selective, but I know it's hard because I know how hard it was for us to raise money. Um, so I think also just being, um, 
you know, trying to talk to as many people as you can, because you never know where the right introduction is going to come from. And then also like kind of taking it easy on yourself. I find that fundraising is like really hard. I think I use the term soul crushing a lot. Okay, yeah, yeah. It comes with a lot of no's. And it's like, you're expected to kind of continue to like keep these amazing metrics for your business. So people want to invest in the business, but then you're also like working in the business every day and also raising money full time. And so it's a lot. And so I would say, you know, just like allow your, like realize that it's a lot and like, don't be too hard on yourself. Sure. And I, I mean, I, I'm assuming when you're in that process, does it must become a huge part of your day and week, right? Yeah. Definitely. So I feel like it can be a full-time job. And when you're a team of one or two, like one person being out doing that all day is hard, but it's necessary because a lot of times you need the capital to grow. Right. Exactly. Do you know, I mean, I don't know if you've done any, if you've looked into any more funding this year, do you know if that process has changed much now that it's, you know, we're in this COVID world and everyone's on zoom and, and that's all going on. Is it, do you know if like, has it been, I don't know. I, I, it's funny because the reason I asked that is, I've wanted to start a podcast like this for a long time. And when I started this in March, um, it was, I think, honestly, I always think back, it was a little bit of timing luck where it's been easier to get people on zoom over the last seven months than I think it would have been, you know, three to six months before that. Um, cause now it's like another zoom call in your day and we're, you know, having the nice, this, this fun conversation. Um, I'm curious if it's like that with investing and getting raising capital now. So we did do at kind of the start of COVID, we did an extension of our seed round with our existing investors because we knew what the world was going to be like. And I just wanted to make sure we'd really short up our balance sheet. And so otherwise, I think so that was I don't want to say easy, but like we were working with the the internal team that we've been working with. And then, you know, as we continue to have discussions, I think it's really important to always be having the discussions, even if you're not raising money um, in the event, like things need to accelerate or in the event that things go all virtual or just to always be prepared for any case scenario. And so to start cultivating those relationships, even when you're not raising money, I think is really important. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Has, um, um, has it been, has it been like an interesting process, um, with COVID? Like for you guys, it sounds like you've kind of been on a roller coaster up and up this year. Um, but has it been, is that been something of a struggle as far as raising money? Like I'm, I'm curious if investors right now, or, you know, anyone who's giving out capital, I'm sure this year has been a, an interesting and dicey year for trying to gain capital. You know, I think it depends on what the business is doing. And so thankfully, we're having a year that exceeded our plan, um, you know, even without thinking about COVID. And so um, thankfully, things are are going well for us right now. But I really think it's about kind of the business metrics internally. But, you know, a lot of these funds have capital that they have to deploy or need to deploy. Um, And so, you know, I think some people are definitely still writing checks. I think, you know, angel investors who are maybe writing checks from their own personal funds, you know, depending on how the market's performing and the election and coronavirus and all the things, like maybe a little bit more leery to write checks. But I think from a fund perspective, like the ones that I've chatted with are definitely still very much actively investing right now. Gotcha. No, that, that makes sense. Um, the other question I had, just because this is one we haven't really dove into on this podcast very much, is um, you know, I uh, I worked at RX Bar when we before we got acquired, and now we're acquired, and so there's different things that I'm now used to and and you know have to report. When you're when you're running a company that is backed by you know venture or angel capital, can you just give the listeners an idea of like like how much in the day-to-day, week-to-week, and I'm sure it's different with every investor, but 
Like how much do you guys have to like report and share as like a private company who has investors? Like how does that, that whole component work? Sure. So I think coming from my background at Coca-Cola, reporting has always been important to me. You know, I think there's some things I thought were fantastic and some things that I left behind from my, my past experience, but I do think like making decisions with data is very important. So internally we have reports that we're looking at every week, um, you know, specific to each retailer, specific to SKUs, specific to channels, et cetera. Um, So I think reporting in general for us as an organization is very important. And then when I look at like our, um, outside partners, you know, we're meeting quarterly with our board, we're presenting a more robust deck about our strategy and longer term plans and past performance. Um, But, you know, I I try to keep all of that information at the ready, because I think it's really important to run the business every day anyways. Right? No, that makes sense. And it's, I mean, just hearing all this and how much growth you guys have seen, it seems like that just is so much work and has to take so much time. How big is the team now? Is it still just the two of you? No. So I started this year and it was just me full-time and then we'll finish this year with six full-time team members. Oh, fantastic. That's exciting. There you go. That's some serious growth. Does that, has that helped or what, what have some of the challenges been of that's cause that's something that's been interesting um, during my time at RX as we've gone through some different transitions. Is it, how has it been like thinking through, you know, adding people to uh, the business and like, how do you, how do you decide on when to add another headcount? I feel like there's this nice mix and I don't know that we have it down pat yet of, you know, we're longer term planning. So I have a decent idea of like what I think the team will look like in 2021 and 2022, but you know, the business really dictates that. And so when we feel like we're like getting really stretched thin or almost to the breaking point, you know, I think it's really important to bring someone on, you know, when you maybe don't necessarily need that person didn't need that person like yesterday but before the team gets like stretched too thin um and so we've been really trying to to balance that and then you know i think as we've brought on more people my my day has changed quite a bit like up until march of this year i was still doing the fulfillment out of my apartment with like my husband and my nanny sometimes it's so wild thankfully now we have a 3pl that does it yeah i spend time you know thinking about the culture of the company and raising money and kind of the bigger strategic plan and innovation whereas like i'm so used to being so in the weeds and so i'm just kind of learning as we go got it yeah no that makes sense that makes sense um what do what does for you guys like the next you know i always like to ask this question the one three five years look for partake foods right now sure so one year that would put us in november 2021 i think we'll be at a couple thousand more doors we'll have added some products that are not cookies and we'll be really focused on kind of building the foundation of the company, making sure that we feel really solid, that all of our employees are aligned with our mission, that we internally are kind of living that and breathing that mission every day, and that we're starting to dip our toe outside of cookies, um, but that our cookie business is really solid. You know, when I look at three years, I hope that we have a couple of products, um, product lines that are in national distribution. And five years from now, you know, I think a lot can happen in that time period. But my dream for Partake is that we make products that can sit in every aisle of the grocery store. I think it's really important, like I look at brands like Kind and Shabani and even RX Bar that focused on a specific product and got that right and got the distribution right and made sure that the velocity was strong and they had their brand awareness before they spread themselves too thin. Sure, so I think yeah. there is a really important important balance there, but I hope that, you know, our brand has the potential to, to make things that are not just cookies at some point. 
Gotcha. And in the thought of basically having the the same ingredient makeup and uh, the benefits in cookies across different aisles is what you're saying. Definitely so. So I think the things that will always ring true are the products need to taste good. They need to be made with ingredients you feel good about, and they need to be top eight allergen free and made in a top eight allergen free facility. Got it. No, I love that. That's fantastic. How has, um, kind of not off topic, but similar. Uh, I was curious, you guys have a really good e-commerce presence. And like I mentioned earlier, it's something I'm, I'm passionate about. Um, how has e-commerce looked for you guys this year? Um, yes, a lot of companies are seeing growth. Um, and then Prime Day. I was curious if you guys took part in Prime Day or had success on Prime Day. So we're actually not on Amazon. So we did oh, you're not, not on Amazon. Place. We're not. Okay. Uh, we're not selling our product on Amazon. You might find yeah, it. I was going to say someone else probably is selling. though, right? Um, but we are very much focused on our website and yeah. we've had a banner year on e-com. So we actually redid our website recently yeah. to, to make it more e-com friendly and to add subscriptions and loyalty programs and a lot of features that we didn't start the year with. Um, and I think it can be a great tool for us to try out new innovation um, in a bit of a low risk way with a community that we know really likes our products already. And so I'm really bullish about growing our e-com business. Yeah, I love that. Do you, is there a reason you uh, aren't on Amazon yet? Or do you want to get on Amazon? Or is that something you just want to focus on D2C for now and, and grow that? was actually kind of a blessing and I don't want to call it a blessing in disguise, but um, we made a change with our Amazon account with a credit card and we actually it created some sort of like security uh, like breach. And so where we've been working hard to get back on Amazon, but oh, okay. we haven't been able to find a real person to talk to. But I, I want to say it's a blessing in disguise because previously we focused all of our e-com efforts on Amazon and not as much as on our website. And we've really in not being on Amazon, seeing that like our website actually has a ton of opportunity and potential to grow and is quite a bit more profitable for us. So, you know, when we figure out how to get back on Amazon, um, you know, we'll, we'll probably have a few SKUs that are available there, but really focused on growing our e-com through our own website. Got it. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. That I, I uh, Amazon's a tricky business. We've had all kinds of good and bad things happen to, to us on Amazon. So I definitely, I can feel your pain there when it comes to that. But to your point, I mean, having a, um, having your own D2C platform, it's like the closest thing you can get to your core consumers, right? Because you get so much information from them and can test so many different things. So um, like I said, love your website. The website looks phenomenal. Um, I was you. on there earlier this morning again, and I was like, it's such a good website. Um, the, uh, the, one of the the last questions I, I love to ask and, and one that I think is, is, is really fun for listeners to understand is like, what do you think if you had to kind of boil, boil everything down, what was one of the most important steps for you um, for Partake Foods from going from zero to one? Um, I think from going zero to one, it was some feedback that Seth Goldman from Honest Tea gave me while I was still working at Coca-Cola, which was very simple, but like, so wise to just get started. I, it was, I was so focused on, you know, should we work with a distributor? Should we work with this distributor? What should we think about from an attributes perspective? And what should the packaging look like? And he was like, well, if you just get started and actually start selling the product to consumers, you know, maybe they can be the guide and maybe your sales can be the guide in terms of telling you what's working and what's not working. And so I think so often people get caught up with like the idea of this, like very fancy launch and like all of the headlines around building the team and fundraising that like at the end of the day it's really important to to just get started and it doesn't have to be fancy because where you start is not going to be where you end love that love that so just putting the hard work in and kind of getting it done 
Got Definitely. it. No, I love that. Um, you know, being, being a CEO and a founder, I'm sure there's, like we've talked about a couple of times, there's a million different things that are always on your to-do list and things to accomplish. And you're a mom and you've got, you know, all sorts of family stuff to take care of. Do you have any tools um, that you use for like tracking goals, daily tasks, you know, whether it's, you know, something as simple as notebook and paper or you have apps, or I like to always ask founders on here, like what, what do they use day to day to like kind of handle their life? Sure. I'm not that tech savvy. I will say I keep it pretty simple with like my Google suite of like Google docs and Google sheets, and then a note in my iPhone that has my to-do list that I kind of cross-reference with my calendar. And that's it. I, I, I feel like I've been so heads down and busy that I'm probably missing out on tools that maybe would make my life easier, but I've been too lazy to learn any new ones and kind of this has worked for me thus far. So I'm just going to stick with it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think uh, actually the, the one common thing I've been hearing lately from most people is like the simpler, the better. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people try to like overcomplicate it with apps or other things, but sometimes the simplest is the best. Um, I agree. What would be your favorite book or like source of knowledge that you share out the most? That's, that's like the other one that I love to ask founders on here. Sure. I think it's really just dipping into the founder network. I think my five-year-old made a joke the other day that I have like 20 books on my nightstand and I've just been so busy that I haven't had time to dig into them. And she's like, why don't you read any of these books? Um, so I think it's, um, I, I haven't read as much as I like recently, but I do make a point to talk to a lot of founders, whether it's people whose companies are much earlier stage and, or people whose companies are much later stage. Um, and then one thing that I made a point to do when I first started part take was to talk to people whose companies hadn't worked out. I think whenever things are going really well, it's easy to simplify. Just like, oh yeah, just go get into Target. Just yeah, go do this. Sure. But when your company has not succeeded um, and you poured like every last bit of like blood, sweat and tears into it, you can really re remember all the things that you wish you would have done or things you wish you would have done differently. And I feel like I learned so much more from the conversations with people whose companies hadn't done well than I have, not to say than I have from people whose companies yeah. did do well, but I, I think it was a really um, big source of knowledge for me. Oh, that's really interesting. How did you even go about like, how do you go about finding those types of people or companies? I think, um, some of it was, it was just kind of like their social media. So I'd be following a brand on Instagram and then I would realize like, they'd stop posting and I'd be like, oh, they may not exist anymore. And I would find the founder on LinkedIn and I would just send them a quick note. Like I was a big fan of your brand. And, you know, I, I just realized that maybe you guys aren't around anymore. And like, do you have some time to talk? And like, it's been amazing to me how welcoming the food and beverage community is, whether it's the huge founders, whether it's the founders whose companies haven't worked out, like people are just so generous with their time and their information and their experiences. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I've, most of the founders I've had on here have been in the food and beverage space and it's been amazing. And, and thank you for giving some time. I know you, like you said, you've got a million things going on. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on here. I agree. I think the food and beverage space is probably one of the most like, I don't know, the camaraderie across food and beverage. Like everyone wants to help each other. Everyone realizes that like more than one person can win in a lot of ways. So I think that's really cool. I agree. Um, any advice for the listeners who want to start their own or in their own food or beverage companies that you would like to offer the listeners? 
You know, I don't, it, it's not rocket science. I think it's a little bit of luck and it's a lot of hard work, um, more hard work than I would have ever imagined in my <laughs> life. Um, but it can be done. Like, you know, I'd never started a company before. I, I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have access to a lot of money and we were able to figure it out and, and grow. And so I think it's definitely possible if it's something that you want bad enough. Hey, that makes sense. Yeah. It sounds like the hard work and just getting started is the, is the key. Um, how can people find not only Partake Foods, but if you want to get a hold of you, do you want to give anyone like, uh, you know, links or I'll, I'll put links in the show notes, but would you like to, you know, share out what, the ways people can get involved with Partake Foods? Sure thing. So we're across all social media channels at Partake Foods. And then if you want to find me, you can find me on Instagram at DG Woodard. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Denise, thank you so much. This was so fun. I appreciate it. I'm, uh, I'm pumped. I'm gonna, we're going to go get some. Me and my wife uh, hit up Target a lot. So we're going to go check that out and try Partake Foods, the cookies. And um, it was a pleasure getting to know you a little more. And I wish you the best of luck with everything in the future. Thank you so much, Shane. It was so nice to be on. I appreciate you sharing her story. Absolutely. Good luck with everything. And we're excited to see what you do. Perfect. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Denise. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Denise Woodard from Partake Foods. As always, there's some links in the show notes for you to check out. Of course, to uh, Partake Foods, there's a link in there to their website where you can learn a little bit more. And then as always, from an investing standpoint, if you want to get started, there's a link to Robinhood as well as the COVID stock market rebound tracker, both great resources and a great platform uh, to get started in your investing journey. And then as always, um, you know, like that, like this episode, comment and uh, share with your friends. That's how it grows. And I can't thank you enough for all the support. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Hope you have a great day.